You're listening to Theo Live, a live YouTube stream podcast hosted by me, Dean Lentini. Every week, I try to give you biblical theology for normal people. If you're interested in hopping into the conversation, you can catch us live every Monday on my YouTube channel. Link in the show notes. Now let's get into it. Hey, welcome to Theo Live episode. I don't know. It's been, we've done a lot of these things. And today I'm super excited because this is something that I've been thinking about for a while. All right. A couple, couple months ago, I had a stream where I was talking about guests that I want to have on the show. And I said, number one on my list, number one was Joe freaking Thorne. And he's here today. I got him in the green room. We're going to bring him in in just a minute before we get going a few little things. Uh, we're going to be having this conversation. We'll check in with you guys here in the chat. If you're watching live, hop into that chat and we'll take some of your questions at the end, or maybe if it's like fitting into the conversation, we'll bring it right in. Uh, but I am super excited to have Joe with us today. So there he is, the man, the myth, the legend, Joe Thorne. How are you doing today, man? Hang on, man. I'm, I'm uh, playing uh, Wordle. Hang on. Of course you are. Did you win? No, I'm kidding, man. I don't play a Wordle. I don't get that thing. I, I used I to, it. and then it, just, it, it got boring after a bit. And every time I was like, it's yeah. got to be ghost. They're going to trick me, and it's going to be ghost, and it's never ghost. And so I get tricked every time. That doesn't help. Mm. So Good to be on, man. Thanks for yeah. having me. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on, man. Uh, when you hopped into the chat a few weeks ago, I was like, holy crap. Joe Thorne's here. This is rad. And then, you know, we've been able to have a couple little discussions about live streaming and all these different things. Mm -hmm. And uh, you're you're making more videos. I want to bring that out right off the bat is uh, you got, you know, everyone knows who you are. Probably. I don't you know, know about that. <laughs> I, I think uh, at least people familiar with my channel probably know who you are. Uh, but you are the pastor at Fellowship uh, Redeemer Fellowship in St. Charles, Illinois. I need to say it because, you know, the podcast format of how you guys always say it. Uh, but you're also the co-host of this podcast with Jimmy over there, uh, Doctrine and Devotion, which is it six years now that you guys have been doing this show? Yeah, I don't really keep track. We started in, uh, I think, the summer of 06. So. Okay. Yeah, that, I think that was right, right after we moved up here. And it was or 2016, not, not 06, 2016. Yeah. I, I kind of caught on. <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, like I've been listening since day one, man, and I am very excited to have you on and also to talk a little bit about, Hey, look what you're doing. You got some videos I watched today. Uh, just a little bit as you can see the red. No, don't, don't be offended. Okay, Joe, oh, <laughs> but yeah, I watched a little bit, but I had to go and run errands. So I was listening to the podcast in the car. Uh, but you interviewed the newest SBC president, Bart Barber. Um, Indeed. it was a really good conversation. I really enjoyed yeah, it. He's a cool guy. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you guys, if you guys want to check that out, you know, you guys get into some of the stuff, even with Rick Warren and, you know, like who's trained more pastors? Do you think you were, you were Rick Warren. You got like 2 million now, Joe. Well, I mean, you know, Rick says he's trained, uh, over a million, uh, trained. I, I don't 
<laughs> Listen, here's the thing. I don't hate, hate Rick Warren. I have ecclesiological differences and theological differences with, sure. with him. I, he's extremely pragmatic, and I don't operate on a principle of pragmatism in, in ministry. Um, but he seems like a nice guy. I don't, I don't, I'm not mad at Rick Warren. And I would say that he's influenced far more than a million ministers and people. But he ain't training a million people. Even like putting together the curriculum and sending it out and all that, that doesn't mean you've trained them. It was a little, it was an awkward. It was a little much. It was an awkward. Yeah. 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 I, I've, I've done a few that. videos on my channel about it. And it's like, uh, you know, like I get where people are coming from. It does seem pretty like braggy. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, he has had a big impact. I don't think any of us could argue with that. Um, right, right, for sure. But yeah. So, uh, you know, why I want to I want to get your thoughts a little bit because, you know, here I am on YouTube making some content and you know, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not. Uh, hopefully today is going to be good. Um, but, you know, you've been doing this for 6 years of doing at least in some way online ministry with Doc and Devo. Uh, so so what what made you guys be like, all right, you know, we're pastors at this local church. Uh, we're going to start a podcast. What what was like that? the initial things that you guys were thinking through? Well, I, I was blogging in the early blogging days and, and had sure. a fairly popular blog. And so um, I've always been sort of uh, comfortable with social media. Uh, I, I like sharing and just working things out, having dialogue. I've always liked that. And when podcasting uh kicked off uh, I was right into it because I, I enjoy uh, radio right I, I like talk radio um, I like conversations and so the podcasts that I always gravitated toward were very conversational or story form sure I don't I, I've never been a big like listener of like teaching and preaching podcasts I, I prefer books um, and I, I rarely listen to preachers uh, unless it's a certain sermon that I need to listen to or that I've heard was going to be helpful um, and in the, the Christian community and in the Reformed community in particular, there wasn't really anybody that I could find that was just having conversation that would have yeah. you know, theological conversation. It was always teaching, lecture, preaching. Uh, it was very formal, and it wasn't fun, and, uh, which is fine. Like, you don't live on a diet of fun, but yeah. in terms of podcasts, that's what I like. And I've, I wanted to for a long time have a do a podcast put something on that would be very conversational and fun uh pushing leveraging reformed baptist thinking uh but at a at an introductory level uh something that's very experiential but also fun and a good time and i know that that means you know i don't got to have a co-host we got to have somebody else there because yeah i'm not going to do a ben shapiro and lecture at the camera what uh, i'm not that interested. hey there's nothing wrong with just having your own channel where you're doing your own thing as jets you're take interesting. Off. You, you, you are interesting. Um, Thanks, man. I'm, I'm just, I try. Yeah. So, um, so I, I wanted something very dialogical. And so Jimmy and I are friends. We laugh a lot. We, uh, we minister together and uh, we have a natural sort of back and forth wherever we're at. And so we just thought like, why don't we do this? Why don't we, why don't we just start recording? Uh, we'll have a conversation. We don't have to do much prep. We'll just decide we're going to talk about something and then we'll talk about it and work it out. And so, uh, yeah, we just, we went at it and uh, we, our first episode sounded horrible. It was on backsliding and we had a, a, a sound guy 
tech reach out to us uh justin bond he's a, he's a photographer videographer yeah and follow he does a lot him of that Instagram. stuff and he, yeah and he was like you guys sound horrible uh, here's what you need and so he's like gave us a few thousand dollars worth of recommendations and so uh yeah, we went ahead and got all that stuff, got set up and uh, started going. And so, yeah, we just and we wanted to do it like two a week. We just felt like, you know, doing a Monday and a Thursday. Uh, keep it simple. No editing in between. We're not going to be all careful. We're just going to have a conversation. Let it go. And it was fun. People people seem to like it enough. And because uh, I'd written a couple of small books and uh, some people in our in our community of faith know a little bit some of them know a little bit about me so we thought we would have a little bit of uh, steam moving ahead yeah man so like, yeah there you go i, I know little, that everyone gives you good things i i want to i want to give you props on my channel okay this will be your safe place okay. joe i know because of your you know who you are and the way you 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 pick on people every once in a while um you know you you get you get taken down a notch or two other places here i'm just gonna be like hey we want you back on the show sometime in the future too so uh <laughs> like love your books man uh i think i think you actually got on my radar long before doc and devo um but it was uh, the resurgence because you know back in the the pacific northwest where i grew up you know the resurgence mm -hmm. was big with Mars Hill and Mark Driscoll and all of that and things that we don't need to be talking about too much. Um, but your first book was through their uh, publishing arm, or at least it's Crossway no, mixed with the resurgence, but it was just an imprint. Yeah. 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 They uh, Crossway, I signed up with Crossway and they said, would you want to go with a relit imprint uh, to help with promotion? And I was like, sure, because I'm X29 and, you know, we have a good yeah. relationship. Let's do it. Okay. Well, it's interesting to find out how all that that inner workings of pub, uh, publication yeah. actually goes. Thank the Lord. Did you hear my my jet engine of an AC? No, no. <laughs> it's live streaming, man. Um, but uh, yeah, Canada. so the, yeah. Why do you got yeah, an AC we, for? The sun's here too, bro. Like yeah, but like like behind <laughs> mountains and clouds. What do you? I don't understand why you would need AC. Um, you don't need like moose fur and stuff. We're fragile people up here, okay? The sun affects us a little okay. bit differently. <laughs> so, um, but I I think this is probably this is probably my favorite book. I'm just gonna say it. Like I don't know if you have favorites of like is it like picking children, or are you just like favorite. I hate all my children. <laughs> I mean, but my books. Do I like my books? Yeah. Dude, I have, listen. Be honest, Joe. Like, we're honest. I'm 100% honest. I don't like anything that I do. I don't, okay. I'm uncomfortable with anything that I put out there. Every sermon that I preach, uh, I would conclude it's a C minus on my best days. Uh, if it weren't for church members saying, hey, that was really helpful. I really enjoyed that. Or that was really powerful. I don't, I have zero self-confidence. I have a lot of uh, psychological issues. Um, it doesn't mean I'm not proud and arrogant and all of that stuff. I just, I just think, Oh, we know, uh, I, I, we know. Yeah, clearly, <laughs> clearly. I just, yeah, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not comfortable with my, listen, this, this first book, that note to self, I, I was, I was working on it. And, um, and so, uh, Justin Taylor was like, Hey, how's it coming? Like deadlines coming up. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to need a little bit more time. And he's like, okay, fine. Well, they move the deadline. And then, uh, and then he says, Hey, where is it? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. I don't think it's ready. And he's like, okay, uh, last, last time we'll give you an extension. And then he calls me back and he's like, Hey, where is it? And I was like, man, I don't, I don't know. It's not good enough. And, uh, he said, is it at least 80% good? Like it's done, mm -hmm. but is it 
80% good because you're probably too hard of a critic. And I was like, eh, maybe, I don't know. And, uh, and he goes, listen, if, um, if, if you don't turn it in, then we're going to demand that advance back. Uh, which by the way, wasn't very much, uh, it would have been easy to give back. And, uh, I was like, <laughs> okay, fine. I'll, I'll, I'll turn it in. So, yeah. so well, I don't if have you a, say, a if you say it's a C plus or a C, what do you say? C minus? Like I'll bump it up a letter yeah. grade and say, you know, not to blow you up too, too much with pride. B I'll say it's a B yeah, minus, right. you know, that's pretty good. <laughs> but, C minus was above my, my average grade in high school. So, um, was I that? graduated uh, second to last in my class with a D minus average. All right, I have I have a theory. Were you were you <laughs> actually good in seminary with school, like with your yeah, with oh, your yeah. grades? I, super, yeah. But that was easy. What what is the deal with that? Because I was the same. Like I I did not care about high school, did not care about grades, and then you know put me into seminary, and all of a sudden you know, graduating cum laude and all that stuff. Like, but yeah, well, I couldn't do any me, math. In, all throughout school, um, there was, okay, so uh, fourth grade, I was doing seventh and eighth grade work. I had a particular teacher that I connected with. But before that third grade, I, mean, I was breaking into the school and vandalizing it, not doing my grade, not doing my stuff. Full and beard at the time too, right? Yeah, full beard, smoking cigars. Well, I was yep. smoking cigars in third grade. But um, so I just didn't care. And then by high school, I... I didn't think I'd live to see 30. I didn't have a purpose. I, I was suicidal. I was angry. I was involved in the occult, like all this stuff. And I just didn't care. I didn't see the point of it all. And nobody could answer these deep questions that I had about life, purpose, suffering, and all of that. Um, and then when I was converted, after I graduated, barely graduated, uh, I was converted and everything changed for me. I always tested well. Like if they gave me tests, like not for class, but if they gave me some sort of test, I would test really well. But I just didn't care. When I went to uh, you know college, and I had to go to community college before I could get into Moody Bible Institute because I, when I applied to them, they were like, your references are great, but we don't even know if you can read because you graduated second to last in your high school. Uh, you need to go to community college for a year and show us you can get good grades. So I went to community college, and that was easy. Mm-hmm. And, then, uh, and then Moody was fine. Um, Southern was easy. For, uh, because I like it. I'm into it. I'm, I'm interested. It's like sure. my, my classes at Southern. The only classes that were really challenging at Southern Seminary uh, were the ones that I took from Tom Nettles. I took him for independent studies and, uh, and a few of his classes, and those were more challenging. But Yeah, he seems like he'd yeah, be a little was, bit more hardcore. He's fun. He's funny. Uh, but, yeah, just you really, had to, you really had to pay attention and, and work it, so. Okay. Well, that, that kind of brings me in a little bit on like your days at Moody because, you know, I, I listened to the podcast and when I was talking about having you on, like a lot of my, my audience, you know, uh, they're very interested in what's going on with, you know, celebrity pastors and, you know, another celebrity pastors has fallen. And, uh, for a lot of people that's caused, them to like look at Christianity a little bit differently. You know, when you see some of these like higher up guys who uh, are well known and well respected sometimes, um, you know, they fall and they start to evaluate some things. And then just over the last few years, a lot of people have go- been going through a lot of difficult times and they've started to reconsider some aspects of their faith. Uh, and, you know, the popular term that everyone uses for that is deconstruction. Uh, and so my audience is very interested, 
in the idea of deconstruction. Maybe they've deconstructed themselves. Maybe they're currently going through it. Uh, but I remember in, in a podcast that you had talked about your days at Moody and how you were thinking through some uh, some aspects that, at least in the podcast, you call deconstruction, like your own deconstruction story. So I, I would love to like hear a little bit more about that, of uh, what were some of the things that you were, you were thinking through when you were kind of just, um, maybe you would put it a different way, but like evaluating um, mm-hmm. your beliefs at that time. Well, just just for context, we were doing an episode on deconstruction and, you know, we were trying to give a charitable definition based on popular usage. Sure. Uh, whether or not it's a good term is up for debate, um, but it's in, in the way some people use it. There's varied ways, yeah. uh, but in the most generous sense, right, it's it's pulling the worldview itself apart, reexamining it and then hopefully reconstructing and figuring out what's true, what's real, what works. And so I said, in that sense, you could argue that Luther went through a deconstruction, or I think Jimmy said that Luther went through yeah. a deconstruction, um, and uh, and I I did it, and Moody, um, and it was really, I mean, a lot of us grow up uh, in the faith, right? I was converted as a young adult, but you know, uh, in, in America, uh, sort of like the, the 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 Christian faith that is so predominant is a dispensational faith, right? Dispensationalism yeah. being a, a way of understanding scripture and the history of redemption and how God works. Um, and it's a, it's a very particular worldview that, uh, and, and biblical, a biblical worldview and a system of theology that relates to Israel and the church and the law and prophecy, eschatology. Um, and the more I listened to dispensational teaching, because Moody was a classic old school dispensational institution. Yeah. The more I listened to that, the more it just did not resonate with my understanding of scripture. And uh, I mean, and I had extreme examples of this where a professor would say things like the cross was plan B. Jesus came to establish his kingdom. The Jews wouldn't let him. So he goes, all right, fine. I'm going to plan B. I'm going to die on the cross. And And it was like, what in the world? You know, it like the Gentiles were plan B. And it's, I'm thinking like, Old Testament prophecies, I will call those people who are not my people, my people, like you know Abraham, like this was never plan B. This was always a part of the plan. Yeah. So I really struggled with it. And the so by the end of freshman year, I had begun reading a lot of d- other uh, theological traditions uh, to, to try to understand like what approach to understanding scripture and making sense of the history of redemption and the covenants, what approach makes the most sense to me biblically. And that's when I found covenant theology to be the most satisfying approach. And, uh, and so that's it. So it was a deconstruction of a, of a particular theological tradition and perspective that I was going through. And, and for me, when we're talking about deconstruction broadly uh, or even personally, I, I don't have a problem with the idea of deconstructing, taking things apart, looking at it. Uh, and letting some things go and bringing some things in because for me, an implicit part of saving faith is that the Bible is the word of God. I think that that's, that's always a non-negotiable. That's always the foundation. We may not agree on what the word says or means, but we agree that it's the word as Christians. And so it's like, I'm willing to say like, we need to evaluate our traditions, our, our, our perspective, our, our history, and constantly evaluate it by scripture. So people tearing it all apart and looking at it 
isn't necessarily bad, especially, particularly if they hold on to the word. And so when somebody says to me, like, hey, listen, I'm, I don't think that, uh, that Jesus is the only, well, they would, maybe somebody would say this, I think Jesus is the only way of salvation, but I think that salvation is actually extended to everyone and that there is no hell. In fact, everyone is redeemed because Christ's sacrifice is actually effectively universal. If somebody made that argument, I would go, okay, well, let's, let's consider that, right? It's possible that I'm wrong. Let's open the Bible, and I'm not just going to try to prove my point now. Let's look at what Scripture has to say about it together. Let's, let's examine it. Let's pull it all apart and let the Scripture continue to reinforce or change or develop what we understand. So I think deconstruction um, is, in the best sense, uh, a, a normal process, a normal part of the Christian faith, where you are maybe, probably, uh, questioning, doubting, and maybe those questions and doubts are good, maybe mm -hmm. they're bad or unhelpful, but the Word of God should be the thing, and I think the church should be another thing that helps us to work through that and get to a, a good, healthy place. Okay. So like if you're evaluating it, like if you're taking your faith, you're like the, the constant thing that people are always talking about is like putting it on the table, taking it apart, like in a machine. So you're, what you're arguing for would be to then look everything. If you had a magnifying glass as you were looking at this thing is just that the word of God is that magnifying glass that you're evaluating it through the lens of scripture. Sure, sure. Or, you know, the the word of God is uh, is really the 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 book that helps us to make sense of all of the parts and the pieces that we have pulled together to make sense of of God and and the gospel. And I know that that's somewhat circular, right? But that isn't that is a part of our a part of our faith. And and even when it comes to and I, some people would say like, "Well, listen, I'm deconstructing because I don't even know if I believe the word anymore." And I've been there, goodness, um, and I've, I've, I've been a pastor, a senior pastor or a solo pastor or a lead pastor since 98. And uh, even during these, these decades, um, I have come to the point where I'm struggling and I'm just wondering, like, is the Word of God the Word of God? Is the Bible actually truly inspired and errant and fallible? Can I trust it? And... Whenever I've hit those places where I have an, uh, an element of doubt or a season of doubt, I open the word. I don't neglect it. I open the word. And every time the word changes me, mm -hmm. it's like God uses the word to say, this is my word, right? His spirit bears witness within me that this is true, that I am his child, that these doctrines are life. So I, I, I just, I always encourage people like, hold on to the book even in the midst of your doubt and take your questions and take your frustrations and fears um to the lord like don't just sit there and be angry but take your anger to god and work it out he's kind he's loving he's compassionate he loves his children he listens to his children he wants to help his children he gives good gifts to his children so take it all to the perfect father hmm. that's really good advice yeah like because there have been a lot of people over the last several years as we've all been thrown into like this existential crisis of, you know, death has been so imminent, um, you know, regardless of where people stand on, uh, you know, the, the numbers, I guess, of the last couple years. And you could read between the lines of things I don't want to be bringing up on YouTube. Um, but with that, everyone has been kind of just reevaluating things, looking in the mirror, 
I think also a big part of that is a lot of people being at home, away from the church, away from at least uh, a lot of uh, the Bible studies and, you know, kids ministries and things like that. But now we're coming back to it. And I don't think that those questions that a lot of people have, you know, of those deconstructing type of questions, whatever it might be, are just going to disappear. So I think that's really good advice to just hold on to the word and let it testify to you. You know, uh, yeah. you know, we, we can look at scripture and we can, you know, like we can, we can break things apart and look at the background and look at how, um, you know, God has, uh, kept his word and preserved it over time, do all the background research that we need to. But at the end of the day, our faith is a faith and yeah. we need to believe and actually have, you know, belief in the word that it is you know, revelation from God himself, and he will then reveal it or use it in our life. So I think that's really good advice to not just be all about, you know, all right, are we about the facts and the numbers and getting everything factually correct and using logic and all everything like that's great. And it's, I'm not saying you shouldn't do that, but I, I really appreciate the idea of just opening up the word and letting it speak to you because we, we, we want yeah. answers so bad sometimes. Uh, and sometimes when we're going through things, all we need is just that, that, that little bit of inspiration to just trust. And, and well, it, yeah. deconstruction is an existential crisis, right? You're, yeah. you're questioning what you know, your epistemology, but it, it usually in, in my reading and interaction with people, it's usually tied to a, a particular, uh, tradition and culture, right? They're reacting to a particular manifestation of the Christian faith. It's sure. not necessarily that they're deconstructing from the Christian faith as much as they are, and it may lead to that, but they're really, they're really wrestling with a particular construction of it. And oftentimes it's super unhealthy. You know, you go to some like hardcore fundamentalist churches, uh, it's super unhealthy. You go to a hardcore liberal church, it's super unhealthy. Um, you know, you, you can go to, uh, you can go to a, a church that has all the doctrine right on paper, but they're, they're oppressive and manipulative and, and, and abusive. And so uh, people are, are deconstructing in the context of, of a very specific model, typically. And, uh, and again, that's not necessarily bad, but that can become the reason that they ultimately leave the faith of the church because they view, oh, this one particular model is everything. It is the sure. faith. I just don't think that that's a that's an honest or fair uh, take on 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 the faith, and I, I actually don't think it's very thoughtful at all. Because we should know. I mean, if you're going through the process of deconstruction, then you should be thoughtful enough to know. Wow, there are different manifestations. There are different yeah. articulation conditions. Okay, well, for someone like you, I'm just curious, like. Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't call you a celebrity pastor because I don't think you would like that title. And um, I, I don't think I you're, on, you're on my YouTube Nobody channel. My you can't be that famous. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, you're, you're kind of in that sphere, you know, uh, of that that orbit of some people want to use like Big Eva, whatever. You know, some of those guys. And, um, you know, even, you know, some of the, the stories that we hear about of the celebrity kind of pastors and them falling, um, you know, I would imagine that you probably have more, uh, relationship to some of these people. Um, has that yeah. affected you at all? 
you know, because like on my channel, I get a lot of people who um, like when Mark Driscoll did his thing, not to just like focus on him, but, you know, people like that when, you know, that happens, that really shook their faith and made them go into this, uh, this aspect of figuring out, you know, reevaluating, deconstructing their faith. Um, has that affected you at all? You know, as you're kind of closer to these people, I don't know if friends or whatever of those, uh, types of people, but you know, you, you see, you know, not just from like the stage, but you've been like, or from like the, the chair looking at the stage, you've, you're, you've been interacting with some of these people. So, uh, has like, when that happens, has that affected you? Well, yeah, but the thing is, um, you know, when I, I became a Christian, um, I had immediate close friendships with very strong, passionate, articulate believers. Um, the strongest believers, the, some of the strongest believers I've ever known were teens. Uh, when I was converted at, at 18, I knew, you know, 17 to, to 20 year olds that were great theologians, passionate, evangelistic, godly, read the word, prayed all the time. Um, so I've, I've, I've always been in, in good relationships since then. And over those years, but from an early time, I saw people fall away. I sure. saw dear friends who were very useful to God in the kingdom, very useful, renounce the faith and walk away. People who had, uh, who were like admired by, and these, these are people that would not be known, but people in our circle who sure. fell away. And then, two leaders that you know i really admired and benefited from one was a pastor and one was a, a denominational leader a director of missions in the sbc locally here and both of them completely flamed out through immorality so i've been i've been dealing with this up close throughout my whole christian walk and every time it happens i feel like a bomb went off and for some reason i'm still standing yeah. Like I'm not, I wasn't a better soldier. I wasn't, you know, uh, I, I didn't even take cover probably, but for some reason it missed me. That's how it felt a lot. So um, I guess I've been exposed to it quite a bit uh, up close. And so, yeah, it's, it's always discouraging. Uh, it, it always, you know, I, I, I weep for people that, that go through this and wind up walking away or just falling into serious sin. I've seen a lot of that. Um, but it, it's never made me question the faith. It's made me question my faith, right? I, 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 it's, made me, it's made me become introspective and pay more careful attention to where I'm at and what I'm doing and, and what precautions am I taking to, to be healthy spiritually. Um, but yeah, it, it, for, for whatever reason, though the failures of men hasn't made me question the faith. It's just made me question my faith in the sense that, you know, could that be me? And the truth is it absolutely could be me. I could do, you know, the things that these other people did, I could do those things. And the way that I explain it to our people at church is, you know, most of you are not likely to just out of the blue after church today, go and commit murder or have an affair. Sure. But we're all probably th three or four bad decisions away from doing those things. It doesn't take much. It just takes a sequence of events and bad decisions to get into a situation where you are very vulnerable. And, uh, and we've seen this play out. Um, so 
yeah, I, I think it, it's made me careful. Um, it's made me sensitive. It, it certainly has. And, you know, to speak to what you were talking about earlier, like this, the sort of ache that a lot of people are experiencing as yeah. it revolved around the last two years. Um, you know, what I have come to see in the years of ministry that I've been is that more people than I thought the vast majority of people that I've ministered to are really hurting and they have been this whole time. They look like they have it together and it's not that they're being fake, right? They're just functioning. Yeah. They, they look good. They, maybe they have a happy family or they have a great career or whatever it is, but the vast majority of people have real significant pain in their life that, that challenges them and is used by the devil to frustrate them. And so much of my preaching and teaching aims at applying the word of God and the gospel to those who are suffering and those who are hurting, because we tend to think like, oh, well, nobody has it as bad as me, or nobody can relate to what I'm going through, or everybody else has it so easy. I had somebody say to me one time, they were going through some tough stuff and they go, man, I just don't understand. Like guys like you just get everything they want. Like everything just comes together for them. And it took a lot within me not to just shake them and be like, you have no idea what my life is like. You have no idea uh, the, the torments that, that I experienced, but it, I didn't do that. It wasn't about me. But people don't know that. So the more they do know that suffering and affliction is common, uh, I think the, the, the more they know that that is, in a sense, the norm of a fallen world, the better equipped they are to... Um, to look for the grace of God in that, knowing that, oh, this is common. No temptation has taken you except that which is common to man. Sure. Is that why you love the Puritans so much, Joe? Because, like, for me, I look at them and, yeah, people always go, oh, their their views of sin, hardcore, you know, like almost legalism in some places. But I think that they had such a good understanding of our emotional being yeah. uh, that they yeah. they were always focusing on that. Yeah, it's, it's funny. I, I started reading the Puritans in 94 uh, when I was a student at Moody. I read uh, The True Bounds of Christian Freedom by Samuel Bolton, and uh, I was in. I was in. And I had read some reform stuff, but not the Puritans. And yes, uh, one of the criticisms that some people will level at the Puritans is that they were overly focused on the individual and the individual's experience of sin and grace, um, and they forgot the community, which isn't true. But um, they did focus very much on the individual because they were evangelists and they were working within a, a Christian context where everybody was a Christian in a sense. And so they were bringing to bear uh, the law and the gospel into people's lives. They were very in tune to people's emotional state. Their preaching addressed the emotional state uh, of their listeners. And, um, and so, yeah, they were very, uh, the old word is experimental. It just meant experiential. Uh, you know, the doctrine of justification wasn't just something to know. It was something to use. There would be several uses for every doctrine and multiple applications for every doctrine. And so I've always, well, not always since 94, um, I have really benefited from a lot of the, uh, the Puritans' approach to the Christian life. I don't agree with all of them, of course, and they have their problems as well. But yes, they... Uh, they saw that the word of God and the doctrine of God was truly useful for piety. And they focused on piety while avoiding pietism. They weren't legalistic. They weren't unfun. They drank, they smoked, they wore colorful clothes. Um, they, they had parties. They, they loved sex in the context of marriage. They thought this was a great thing. It was not just for procreation. It Should I clip that one out? I'll, I'll clip it out and just put it. <laughs> 
Joseph's Puritans love what? <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, you can, yeah, it's, it's true. Let's take you out of Go context. Ahead. It'll be fun. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll back that up. <laughs> so I want to I want to ask you because everyone knows, like I appreciate all all of what you just said, um, but everybody knows you as I mean you're right there. You know we're we're doing our show and you're smoking your cigar and the tattoos and it's become a whole a whole thing. It's a, it's a Joe Thorne is a whole vibe. Okay. Um, I want to know who's this guy. <laughs> that's, that's what I want to know. Okay, first of all, first of all, that's not cool. Okay. I'm just going to tell you right now. <laughs> I did not sign off on that. Okay. That's, just, that's, that's, that's not even me. Clearly. I mean, someone gave, Everybody someone gave him your name tag. Me. You live in Canada. That's Photoshop. That's Caillou with my lanyard on it. So, okay. So there's two things going on there. Yeah. One, it was before I knew I could grow a beard. I didn't think oh, I could. Yeah. Uh, there's a few things. So number two, um, you can't see my tattoos, but I have some. Okay. And I've had tattoos for, I've had tattoos since 95. So. All right. Um, they just didn't go onto my forearms and hands. They were all underneath the t-shirt. Uh, until I knew I was going to be where I'm going to be for a long time. And sure. I was uh, clearly, I was running about 30 miles a week uh, during that phase of life for a few, for a number of years. So uh, okay. yeah, I was more fit and more boring looking. And uh, yeah, the thing is I put on weight and then I just stopped caring. I just went to t-shirts because like, like I would wear nice stuff like that because I, you know, I was fit. Is it nice and, though? Yeah. Is it nice though? I'm just kidding. Yeah, it's pretty nice. That's yeah, like 2000, circa 2000. I don't know. You got, you got, you got the collar out. Like, yeah. Were you disco dancing yeah, before good. this? Um, uh, all right. Uh, I won't make fun of you too much. Uh, I just, I am curious, you know, like any of this stuff of like smoking and drinking and, you know, like not in excess. Let me make sure I say that. Okay. Yeah. Um, but, you know, these, these aspects you, you have kind of just, I don't know, you become more you, I guess. And so as you've done that, it, does that have anything to do with, uh, any aspect of deconstruction? I'm just curious, like of like deconstructing the culture around yourself. I don't even know what that means. I don't know what you mean. Okay. Well, I was just curious, like as, as someone who's come out of, you know, independent fundamental Baptist movement, you know, growing the beard has been a part of it, you know, for me, uh, of just being more myself and not wearing right. suits on Sundays, you know, like th those kind of aspects have been conscious choices that I made of me just being like, no, I don't need to, you know, have that part of, you know, trying to live up to any aspect of any cultural appearance stuff. I was just curious if that was any, anything right. for you. No, uh, listen, I, um, the the i guess the two things that would really relate is uh i i do what i like mm -hmm. right i i wear what i like uh i listen to what i enjoy um and so you know i've i wanted a beard since the 80s um i saw bruce dickinson of iron maiden uh one time when he wasn't touring he grew his beard out and i was like one of the best front men of one of the best metal bands has this awesome beard and i wanted a beard sure. and i just didn't think i could grow one so I've always wanted one. And finally, some members, we had a bunch of beards at our church. And the, this Russian guy's like, you know, quit being a baby. Just just let it grow. I'm like, no, nah, it won't come in. It's going to be all patchy. And he's like, just let it grow. It'll all be fine. And it looked pretty bad for about three months. And then it finally 
filled out. But um, so it, it, honestly, the, the beard, like I've had tattoos forever. I mean, I had my goodness, my nipples were pierced when I was at Southern Seminary. Uh, right, nobody need, knew. We didn't need to go there, Joe. Yeah, I'll listen. You want me? I'll show them. No, I, I <laughs> yeah. When you have kids and your your daughter is like a few months old and she's yanking on them, it's uh, yep, yeah, it's time to hurt. get rid of them. Yep. But uh, no, I've always just sort of been me. But I've I've oftentimes been in places where I have to play by certain rules. So at Moody, yeah. I had to dress a certain way. When I went to Moody, but when I when I got accepted, I had long hair, right? And um, and they were like, you can't have long hair. And I'm like, I know it's fine. So I did this. I shaved it bald. This would have been in '93. And they were like, you cannot have a bald head. And I was like, why is that? And they're like, well, because like back then that wasn't common. The only people that did that were the punk scene and skinheads. Spotted. Sure. And, um, and, and then, but I said, well, you have a professor who has a bald head and they go, yeah, he's black. It's a, it, it's okay in the African-American culture. You as a white guy, it's a little yeah. off-putting. So I couldn't have the bald head. And then I went to Southern and, you know, talk about, culturally not fitting in it's kind of you know hoity-toity you know a little little blazer vest you know patches on the elbows kind of a thing and sure you know i didn't really fit in there um and so when i came back here we started planting my wife and i agreed we're just and this probably speaks to what you're saying is so it wasn't deconstruction it was a, what it was a choice we're not going to pretend we're not playing games. We are going yeah. to be who we are and we're not going to apologize for it. Um, and if we're wrong, we'll be called on that and that's fine, but we're going to pursue biblical holiness, not any kind of particular cultural or religious holiness. We want to, we want to pursue godliness, but in a biblical way. And so that was, that was definitely was a conscious commitment. And what's happened though is like, you know, I pastor a church. We have very, very diverse, especially for our area, right? We're 94, 95% Anglo here. Okay. So we don't have a lot of um, racial diversity, um, but we do have a lot of uh, socioeconomic and generational diversity in our area and in our church. I mean, very, very diverse. And everybody loves the church and nobody looks at me sideways. The reason, the reason my tattoo started to crawl down onto the more visible parts of my body is because I, I know this place. I grew up here. Nobody here cares. It's okay. not a, it, it, yeah. it's not a barrier for me doing the gospel or sharing the gospel. So I know people sometimes think of this as like, Oh, is this, is this a thing that you're trying to do? It really isn't. This is, this is me being me. I've, I've been this way my whole, you know, life. I mean, hopefully I've grown and matured, but my personality is what it is. And this really kind of reflects that. So um, like, I'm not like a James McDonald who was a, you know, sort of a, a, a goofy, you know, like we go in there guy. Now he's trying to be a motorcycle club guy. It's like, stop it, bro. Everybody should just be themselves and be happy with it. And like, it's just never been an issue. I'm thrilled that we have, you know, people in their seventies and people in their twenties that, uh, that can respect me as pastor and they don't let any of these superficial differences, cultural differences uh, get in the way. Awesome. Well, I, I just really appreciate it. Like that's, that's one of the things that I love about you. And I know most people who read your books, listen to the podcast, all that stuff. We all love that about you is that you're you. And like for me, for a long time, especially in pastoral ministry, you know, there is that pressure of, you know, trying to be almost like as vanilla as possible, you know, just all things to all people. Yeah. And, um, 
you know, while there's something to that, that we don't need to be like needlessly offensive, you know, you knew your context. Um, but like there, there is that pressure to just not show certain aspects of yourself. And, uh, and it's harder if you're stepping, it's harder if you're stepping into a traditional or an established church with an established culture, which you're planting, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so I've planted and you get to create the culture with a team around you. So that's a different kind of hard. It's not easier or harder than an established church necessarily. It's different hard. Now for me, stepping into an established church culture would be harder than planting uh, personally. Uh, But yeah, I'll, I'll I'll take the the struggles of of starting from scratch uh, before stepping into something established because you know, the joke that, that a lot of a lot of the pastors here say is, is like, and no other established church would want us as pastors. Like, no, they would be they're like, no, thanks. We'll pass hard pass. We'll, we'll find somebody else that fits in. So you kind of have to play, you know, you kind of have to, um, you know, understand and embrace the culture of a church as much as possible when you step into it. And I think we've been able to create a culture where our people, we, it's the least judgmental church I've ever been a part of. It is very serious about doctrine and godliness, but it's, it's not harsh. And in fact, people are free to be themselves in such a way that when they really colossally fail, rarely do I find out they come and tell us, Mm -hmm. they say like, Hey man, porn and prescription pill addiction. I need help. Um, Hey, um, I've gotten the calls before. Like, Hey, um, I, I, I just cheated on my spouse. And I'm about to tell them, can you come over because I'm gonna, my whole world is going to blow up and I've messed up so bad. They'll invite us into that process, even though they're going to come under church discipline uh, and we get to help them in that. They, that is because we've cultivated an environment and a culture where you, people can be transparent and honest and be themselves and be accepted and get help when they need it. Mm. It's so important because so many times I wonder, you know, these these horror stories that we hear about. If only the church was a little bit more transparent on, you know, just, I don't want to say lesser sins because it's not a thing, um, but, you know, sins that are at least, uh, I'll use the Jerry Bridges, more respectable sins. (laughs) Um, But, uh, you know, if we were like a little bit more graceful in how we reacted to some of those things, you know, people wouldn't hide things as much. Maybe we wouldn't hear some of the horror stories that we do. Um, but yeah, I really appreciate that. So, uh, I do have some fun things I want to talk to you two about. Uh, and first I want to know, all right, you, you, you say death metal all the time that metal is like your, or or maybe it's not death metal. I don't, I see different kinds of metals. I don't know. Um, but I want, I want to hear why, why should I listen to metal music? Um, because it just, it just sounds like like a dryer that's broken to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just I just want someone to fix it. Okay, so two things. One, you shouldn't listen to death metal um, okay. or any kind of metal. Uh, you, uh, but, because it's, it's, it's preference, it's, it's taste. Okay. But uh, me- good metal uh, as a genre of music, there's various kinds. Some are very melodic. There's very clear, easy to perceive structures and rhythms and melodies, and um, and and the the vocalization is very clear. So think of Iron Maiden. Iron Maiden is a power metal band um, out of the UK, and they are um, they are brilliant, right? Now, people that listen to that, if they have 
any ability to just listen should be able to, even though it's an 11 minute song, they should be able to go, wow, there's a lot of melody and structure there. And they can listen to the lyrics and go, wow, they're talking about Greek mythology or war. Uh, they're, they're talking about literature or whatever. Um, and then there are the, there's the kind of metal that I tend to listen to, which is a bit more complex. And it is an acquired taste. Now, some people would say like, well, and I've had people say this to me before, if I have to learn to like something, then it's not worth liking, which is, I'm going to be pastoral here, the dumbest thing uh, <laughs> that you can say, because most good things that are really good take time to appreciate, right? Oh, that's um, true. When you're a little kid, you like sugar because sugar nummy. It's why little kids <laughs> like ketchup. Ketchup is gross, but it's sugar nummy. They have to learn to like oh, mustard. Right, because mustard has has more complex flavors. Coffee is harder to appreciate um, than spring water or something like that. And so, whether whatever it is, the complexity of something usually requires um, some effort to to understand and appreciate. Same with jazz. I don't mean like smooth jazz. I mean like like post bop, like Miles Davis, John Coltrane, Sonny Rollins, like stuff like that. Like, whatever. We know gonna, you listen to Kenny G. Okay, I don't hate Kenny G. But <laughs> I'm not gonna dog Kenny G, but that's not really what my thing. So the point is, is like some things have to be uh, studied or thoughtfully analyzed. And so the metal that I listen to, uh, probably most commonly, would be in the heavy metal. Uh, then it would be death metal is a, is a subgenre. Nobody wants me to lecture about the history of, of metal here, but. Um, in, in, and I listen to what's called Gothenburg metal or Scandinavian death metal or melodic death metal. And uh, in that, you typically have rhythm guitars and lead guitars. Um, you have guttural vocalizations. Um, so not a lot of clean singing and vocalizations. So sometimes, but sometimes that's a part of it. A lot of guttural, guttural growling. And uh, so there's a reason for all of that. But to appreciate it, you actually have to take the time to try to understand the structures of the songs because it is much more like classical music than it is like pop or rock because it's okay. more complex. Um, so you're in, saying in that you're of, smarter than all of us because you like it. No, I just say I have, I have well, I am, but that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> that's, <laughs> not, that's a different I'm point. But. <laughs> it is a fact. It is an indicative truth. Um, no, I'm just saying like, I've, that's something that, I've learned to appreciate. Now you could study it and you could, you could appreciate it and still not like it. Sure. Right. Like I can, I can appreciate uh, a, a lot of bands that I don't enjoy listening to. Uh, I, I can appreciate a lot of films. Like there are films that I've watched and I'm like, wow, that is a brilliant film. I didn't like it though. It's not my yeah. thing. I'm not going to recommend it. I don't want to watch it again. So it's the same with that. The reason that I listen to heavy metal is because one, they frequently, okay, first of all, number one, it makes me feel amazing. I don't feel angry. The music that I listen to, the specific bands that I listen to, uh, Insomnium, for example, it, it, it feels like I'm just filled with, with light and joy and, <laughs> and excitement and power. Are you skipping I when you're listening it, to this? Or? No, not skipping, no, no. no. But it makes, me, it makes me feel great, it feels good. Secondly, the, the, the lyrics, uh, the songwriting itself, the, the, the lyrics frequently explore um, concepts that, that resonate with me. So like when I was in high school, I listened to metal. I didn't listen to the hair bands, right? The hair bands were singing about 
like sex, drugs, and rock and roll and all that stuff and partying. So I wasn't I wasn't listening to Poison and all those bands. I was listening to uh, Slayer and Megadeth, uh, Anthrax, because they were singing about death and war and uh, child abuse and uh, you know literature. I mean, I learned about the rhyme of the ancient mariner from Iron Maiden, not from school. Right? It's like so. Okay. The, the the lyrical content was super rich and very real, and metal tends to see or 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 give a perspective of the world that is dark. And I view the world as a pretty dark place. There's beauty, there is light as well, but I do view it as a, as a dark and dangerous place. Maybe that's because of my own experiences, uh, up to, even up to this point, but that um, makes the gospel shine all the more brighter. So I listen to that stuff because it feels, it feels great. And, uh, and I, I just, I've appreciated it. Yeah. Well, my, listen, like first, just even, even that, I kind of want to listen to it now. So I'll give you some recommendations off the air, but the first poster and the first album that I ever had, I was six years old. I had the kiss destroyer poster and album, uh, in my, in my bedroom. That nice. was, uh, you know, that was, that was, that was uncommon for kids my age at the time, at least. So Joe, what would be like a band or a song that like, cause everyone knows that about you, that you like you, you really enjoy metal. Um, but what would be like a band or a song that like, people would be like really shocked that Joe Thorne, like he's just driving, driving to church on his normal route. And he just like, you know, is, is, do you sing in the car? Yeah. Okay. So you're just belting it out. What would, what would be something that you'd be like, not, not metal. You don't have to be super embarrassing, but like something. So, so something not metal, something not metal, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, I, uh, I, I like some Billy Eilish. Okay. Um, so I listen. I listen to some of her. Uh, I've been known to listen to uh, a little bit of uh, of Taylor Swift. Oh, you know what? Here, I can just actually I can open up my uh, my Apple here. That'll be easier. Uh, what do you call? You iTunes? can share What's the playlist yeah. in the description of the video. So uh, while um, you're okay, go for it. Yeah. So yeah, like when you look at this, it's like all of my recent additions are like it's a whole lot of of metal, and then yeah. Metal, metal, and then uh, oh, there's some Amy Winehouse. There's Rihanna. Okay. Um, so yeah, it just kind of depends. You know, I awesome. listen to some hip hop and I listen to uh, jazz. Okay. Yeah, for me, it's Katy Perry. I don't like. I know everyone is I like, like oh, that's that's annoying. It's annoying. Whatever. And they say stuff about the Super Bowl show. I thought it was one of the greatest shows of all time. I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. I never liked. I never like Super Bowl shows because I don't want a melody. I want the whole song. I don't want oh, like okay. three of your songs in one. I want I want a show. Um, but like Katy Perry, like uh, hey man, I like that you're gonna hear me roar song. I, I like right? that. I'm just saying That's it's good stuff. Like, we're gonna Come be on, singing man. it for a long Get time. Up. Um, so all right, I do have some questions from from folks. Um, uh, John Adams. From John Adams Ministries YouTube channel. My question is, what is his favorite whiskey? Uh, his favorite whiskey is to pair with cigar. So, you're gonna yeah. smoke something. What are you gonna drink? So, um, I'm not always drinking, but I am always smoking, um, and I do enjoy whiskey. It's it's probably my favorite um, spirit. Well, it's not probably. It definitely is. Um, and we probably have at any given time, eight different kinds of whiskey at the house. Okay. Um, we've had as many as 14. Um, we, we have a, a liquor wall. 
and we really have that, by the way. That's not my doing. My wife took a bartending class and learned how to be a bartender. And so she knows how to do all the stuff, you know, cocktail, flipping the thing. Mm -hmm. So um, so that's why we have all that stuff. But um, my favorite whiskey is bourbon. That's my favorite kind of whiskey. I think I think it is just the, the perfect. I, I just I love uh, what goes into what makes a, a whiskey a bourbon whiskey. Um, and then my probably the most common bourbon is that I, I go to a lot is bullet. It's not expensive. Okay. Um, it's easy to find. Uh, but if you know, I last night I had a, a, a pour of Weller, um, which is hard to find around here. Uh, Blanton's is amazing. Also tends to be harder to find. Um, I like, uh, I like Basil Hayden, of course. I mean, that's a good starter sort of, uh, easy, easy to, uh, introduce yourself to something like that. So, uh, it just kind of depends. I, I choose different things, but I'll, I'll tell you this, uh, if he wants a specific recommendation, I'll say grass widow. Grass, grass widow, widow is an excellent bourbon. And, uh, so if you can find that, give that a try. All right. Grass widow, John, that's it. Genuine JC, what books would you recommend on deconstruction? So, Either either way you define it, you don't, don't read any. Yeah, I don't. I don't have any books. I don't have any books on deconstruction that I would recommend. I don't know of. I don't. I mean, I haven't read any books on deconstruction. Um, so, yeah, I I don't have any. Sorry, man. I, Wayne I, Grudem. Not, not really Wayne good. Grudem on deconstruction. I think that's what I heard. That's what Joe. Said I think you should deconstruct from Wayne Grudem systematic. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. Systematic theology. <laughs> um, goodness sakes. The most uh, all right. People don't know why we go so hard after Wayne. We're not. We don't have a problem with Wayne. We have a problem with everybody saying that it's a good Sistio when it's not. Agreed. Objectively, it's not. Agreed. It's not. It's not even a proper Sistio. There's, there's no history. There's no philosophy. It's an exegetical theology that has some major problems with it. It's easy to understand, but people read. I've, I've, too many guys I know, they, they haven't read any other systematic theology. Like, this is the best Sistio ever. I'm like, what else have you read? Name it. So good was fine. I read this in Bible college. Um, all right. I got two questions before we head out. I did want to keep it to an hour because uh, I know you, you got sermons to write and all that kind of stuff. Um, all right. You're stuck on a deserted island, Joe. And you got okay. to take one guy from Big Eva and be stuck on an island with him. Uh, who who are you taking? Who's not invited? Okay, I'm, not trying to, I'm not trying to be a jerk. I don't know what Big Eva means. I know people say it all the time. I have no idea what they mean by it. TGC kind of platform. Oh. Someone who would be speaking like that or has a podcast or a following. Who's cool? I don't, I don't know. I think this says something. I think this says something. Multiple choices. Give me some multiple choices, right? Um, okay. All right. Uh, you gonna take Johnny Mac? Are you gonna take John Piper? Are you gonna take Tim Keller? Or are you gonna take um, Jared Jared C. Wilson? Okay, so this is what's confusing. Jared C. Wilson is a part of Big Eva, and Johnny Mac is the guy that aren't, the, aren't isn't that the team that makes it's fun just of names. Big Eva? It's just names that people okay. know. So, okay, so if I have to choose between them, um, I'd probably take Johnny Mac so that um, I could dress him down. Uh, uh, for the time right. that we're there, because you're going to get some business man. done on that island. Yeah, yeah, I, I got some things to say, right. so it won't, it won't be for fun. It'll be for business. Okay, all right, I'm going to settle some things. Um, and then, all right, 
just last question and you know i just want to know all right let me go over here does jimmy smell as rich as he looks okay here's the thing about how jimmy smells i'll tell you <laughs> first of all jimmy never smells bad never okay. smells bad but he has on occasion and it has been a few years since this has happened he has on occasion done a little bit too much of the cologne dump he okay puts, he, has in the past he seems like that kind of guy up. and i'm like I'm like bro you he's like no, no no and then he tells me how he does it you know he's like do this do that and i'm like i'm telling you right now nobody should be able to smell it unless they're hugging you they should not be able to smell it and my eyes are watering standing two feet away from you so like it's too much but that it's been a while so no, okay. uh, jimmy uh, looks good smells good feels good all That's right well, Joe, I want to say thank you for coming on this show. I know like you're a busy guy. You got stuff going on. So it means a lot to me that you'd be willing to come and hang out and, you know, just, I don't, it's, it's just really nice to know, you know, not big Eva, but you know, some of these names that we know from books, from uh, podcasts and all of that. It's, it's nice to know that there are guys like you who are chill and also sound in their theology and like willing to have discussions about things. I appreciate that about you. Well, I appreciate you, D man. You're doing good stuff. Keep, keep it going. And, uh, hope you, uh, hope you see a lot of good fruit up there in Canada, man. I'm excited. Yeah. For you. Yeah. Yeah. appreciate that. All right. Well guys, if you haven't hit the button on your way out the door, make sure that you hit that like button and also go in. If you, if I don't know who would be out here that is watching me Aren't talk to, to Joe Thorne. It? I thought, you smashed, I thought you smashed the like button. We don't smash you, it. We oh, don't, I thought you we said, don't okay. do that here. That's that's like gaming stuff. You'll get this when you start you ring live the bell? streaming on Dr. Yeah, ring the bell. There's a, there's a bell and there's, ring the, there's bell. the subscribe button, I think. Oh, Tickle I the even, subscribe look, button. Joe, I got an animation. Look at that. Ooh, look at you so fancy. We, we fancy over here. Uh, but go over to Doc and Devo's YouTube page because they've had a couple videos. If you're just like, oh, it's just podcasts over there kind of but also you guys are doing some interviews over there and you can see the videos and who knows maybe there's something in the future i have no we got some passengers in cars smoking cigars videos as well oh, yeah. we've got some uh we got some uh some what i call shortcuts where i'm just giving like a five minute spiel on things so not very much but we're trying to do more yeah thanks yeah all right well thanks for watching guys i'll be back later on in the week and uh yeah have a good one 